before we get into our cultural story, uh, our, the Christian story, I, I think it may be helpful real quick if I just share a bit of my testimony. Um, growing up north of Boston, grew up in a very secular environment, not a Christian family. Um, my parents were very moral, but not followers of Jesus. My, I know you can't tell by looking at me, my life was hockey and played constantly. And at one of my games, my mother heard someone talking about a ranch in Canada and where professional hockey players trained in the summer and they had tons of horses. And so I, I'm shortening the story really quickly, but ended up there. There were Christians running this ranch. I did not know that before. I was not happy about that. But halfway through the week, in, they had chapel. Um, the, the Lord singled me out and totally transformed my heart, like convicted me of my, I was heading in a really, I was still young enough to where I hadn't completely got into everything, but just to give you an idea, all of my friends were eventually banned from the town I grew up in. And so I just saw this vision of where I was heading and the Lord just grabbing me and saying, no, I've got a different direction for you. And the Lord changed my heart. I hated, like when we did go to church, we went to a church that didn't believe the Bible. It was a um, very progressive congregational church, so we would, if we did ever have Bible studies, it was to pick out what might be true or not. It was not to submit to the word at, at all. We didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We didn't believe the Bible was inspired. Didn't believe anything that Christians believe, but um, he, he gave me this hunger for his word. So in high school, I'm waking up early and devouring the scriptures. And my parents are looking at me like I'm a freak, like what has happened? But they saw the changes in my life. My mom became a believer. My father became a believer. My brothers and sisters, we eventually had, we had four natural kids. All glory to God. Four natural kids, three adopted and 36 foster kids that came through the home. And God just changed us. And it is all his sovereign grace because I, I was not interested. I didn't want him. I saw no need of him. But he totally changed my direction. And, and I had my life planned, like what I thought I was going to do. And he had different plans. And so I, I'm still, like over 40 years later, stunned that he would do that. And that that is a just quick, personal experience of what we're about to look at. Like, what is the Christian story that is so radically offensive and different from the cultural story? Well, creation, I am designed male or female in God's image. So our identity flows from our creator. Psalm 100 verse 3, know that 
The Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Now just let that sink in. We are not creating an identity. We are not even discovering a self-affirming identity. He made us. Not we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So God created man, Genesis 1.27, in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. The animals and the trees were all made according to their kind. You would think the humans would be made according to our kind, but no, we are made according to God's kind. In his image, we resemble him. This is what, in his image, we resemble him and we represent him. We resemble him morally, spiritually, relationally, rationally. We represent him as we exercise dominion, cultivating and preserving. That is both essence and function. We image him, but it's deeper than that. Because... We know who we are in relation to whose we are. Like we know who we are in relation to whose we are, not just our essence or our function, but our relation. A person is a person, not primarily based on function or essence, although those are real, but relation. And this is huge when it comes to things like abortion or euthanasia or sexuality. You are a person not based on what you do, but your relation to the one who made you. God is three in one, Father, Son, Spirit. His personhood is incomprehensible apart from relationality. So we are in an asymmetrical way, knowing ourselves in relation to who God is. And you get a glimpse of this in different places, like Psalm 139, for example, in verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So look at verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. But my most precious thoughts of myself are your thoughts of me. My most precious thoughts of me are the thoughts that you have of me. The way you think of me delights and defines me. The most important thing about me is what you think of me before you knew you, he knew you. 
Just think about that. Like, this is so radically different from the cultural view where you have no intrinsic identity and you gotta figure out who you are and you can see why there's such a frantic attempt to self-definition and self-identification because I'm nobody until I define myself. But for a Christian, to know that we were known before we knew who we were. Like we are known and we, and we are defined by the one who knows us. And so we can't truly know ourselves outside of the thoughts of God. His thoughts are not only emotionally stabilizing, but covenantally orienting. God is writing you into his creation story. And that's what we mean when we say, I'm designed by God as male or female. Number two, the fall. So what is my problem? I can't accurately know who I am apart from God's grace and truth. And that means that we cannot trust our unaided self-identification. We, the image of God, turn to creating things. We lost our sense of who we are. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became empty, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark, and claiming to be wise, they became fools. So what does this look like? Psalm 36. I think you've got a chart in your notes, hopefully. Psalm 36 describes in the first four verses a sinful identity. And it's four steps. Number one, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Now remember, Glennon Doyle said she didn't want to listen to others' expectations, so she turned inward. And this is what Psalm 36 is describing and warning us against, that transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. We listen to ourselves. We listen to ourselves. There's no fear of God before his eyes. What does that mean? God's thoughts of me are not preeminent. Like, I'm fine, and most people in our culture are fine with tacking God on as an appendage. Like, I need God to round off my life so I have a spiritual part of my life. That's not what he's talking about. The fear of God is when God moves from being an idea to being the reality. Like, your life. He's not just an appendage. He, he defines everything. He created everything. So, transgression does the opposite. There's no fear of God before his eyes. God's thoughts of me are not preeminent. My thoughts of me are preeminent. Number two. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. So he deceives himself. And the key there, his own eyes, is we become self-referential. Like I look at myself and I define who myself is. And my definition of me is based on what I think. And that's why there's so much emphasis in our culture on 
Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, as long as you feel good about yourself. Self-referential, we convince ourselves, this is who I am. I've always felt different. I've always felt out there, not apart. Number three, we listen to ourselves, we convince ourselves, and then we express ourselves. In verse 3, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. So we're moving here from thoughts to words to actions. We're choosing a lifestyle, expressing ourselves the way we portray ourselves. Number four, he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. And here we are orient, orienting ourselves. We orient ourselves. The phrase, verse 4, sets himself in a way, is a biblical image of orientation, what we would call today orientation. And by the way, this psalm is quoted in Romans 3 as describing all humanity. So this is not just some really bad people in the Old Testament. This, this, this is describing all of us but by the grace of God. Rachel Gilson, we're going to meet her a little later in a, a video, was an atheist and lesbian at Yale. She stole a C.S. Lewis book from a friend <laughs> and read it, and that launched her into an investigation of Christianity. She eventually became a believer she realized that her lifestyle didn't seem to match what the Bible says. So she went to a chaplain at Yale who said, oh, no, 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 no. You can be a Christian and a lesbian. Those, those are beautiful together. And, but she, as a brand new believer, didn't totally trust that because she looked at the Bible and says, I'm not sure this chaplain is telling me the truth. Isn't that amazing? And so she is now a follower of Jesus and part of crew on the staff on campuses. But I think we got a video a little later of her, but look what she says in here. Our desires whisper lies in our ears. They gather steam from our culture and shout over any objections. So this is the floods we were talking about at the beginning, Psalm 93. Sometimes the voice even comes from those we trust most in the world. Like we will have people in our lives who will say, it's fine. Those who claim to love God. So what's, what's the answer? If we can't trust our own self-assessment, and we can't always trust other people, we need God's words more than ever. He has not abandoned us to be raised in the orphanage of desire. He has given us birth and given us the Bible as a vision of the goodness of our bodies, a vision for the real reason why sex is so powerful, a vision for his plans for it and for us in the world. We are free to use our bodies as the good gifts they are designed by their creator to be. And what she's describing there is not just going with what feels good as a lesbian having to then 
evaluate her desires based on God's word, not her own assessment, called her to radical transformation. Today she's married to a man serving Jesus. Total, <coughs> totally different life. Like that, that's what Psalm, Psalm 36 is warning us against trusting our own way. And that leads to the solution to the problem. I am being transformed into a new self in Jesus with my brothers and sisters. Jesus didn't command us to create a new identity. He became who we are. Sinners so that we could become who he is. Righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become who we weren't. The righteousness of God. He took on my identity so that I could take on his. We repent of our own self-identification, finding our own selves. And believe in Jesus, we lose ourselves to find them. And the result is a truly enduring identity. Colossians 3, 2 through 4 describes it beautifully. Set your minds on things that are above where you are in Jesus. This isn't just about, think about heaven more. That's good. But this is who you are in Christ. Not on things that are on earth. That is who we or others think we are. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, if you can see it, it's not who you ultimately are. Think about that. See how radically different that is from our cultural story? Our cultural story says what you see is what you get. Like you're going to die, turn to dust, and your soulless being will become nothing. But the Bible is saying, you know, who you really ultimately are is so much deeper than what you can see because your true identity in Jesus is hidden in Hidden in Christ. So you can't look in the mirror and define who you ultimately are going to be. Rosaria Butterfield, if any of you, you've probably heard that, that name. If you, did you just give away one of her books? Yeah. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse, taught feminism, lesbian studies despised evangelicals, was writing a book against evangelicals, and so started to meet with a pastor and his wife to figure out who these odd creatures, these hateful creatures are. And the pastor and his wife did what we were talking about earlier. Just listened, loved, had her for dinner for years. Let her rant, shared their views, just walked the road with her. She eventually became a follower of Jesus, left her lifestyle, is now married with many kids, uh, serving Jesus. And I, I want you to watch this video by her. She's talking about sexuality and identity. 
Like, how does the gospel change the way who we think we are? Identity, 
It actually separates you from your image-bearing responsibilities and also from the joys that are inherent in that. In Christ and with union in Christ, you can struggle with any manner of sin this side of heaven, but you do it with the Lord's kind company. You do it as a son or a daughter who stands in robes of righteousness, not someone who kind of balls and chains a category of the flesh that will have absolutely no place in the New Jerusalem. Okay, if we can come back and in one of the Q&As talk more specifically about the idea, because this is hotly debated among Christians today, is can you be a gay Christian and not act on those desires? So if any of you want to dive into that, we can. But for right now, I don't want us to miss what Rosario was getting at, because Colossians goes there right after the passage I just read, Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, so, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew and circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, Paul is not saying that there weren't people who were Greeks or Jews or people who had been circumcised or uncircumcised. What he's saying is those, those identities are not primary or ultimate or definitional. That's, that's not who you ultimately are. That, that those, who you are is much deeper than that. So our racial, our social distinctives can be, they're not sinful, they can be gifts, but they're not the essence, they're not definitional. Look what Keller says, the Christian who makes Christ and his love the core of his or her identity then discovers that we need not completely reject other identity factors. Our race and national identity, our work and profession, our family and politics and community ties can all remain intact. They are no longer the ultimate basis for our significance and security. But that does not mean they are flattened or eliminated. Rather, we are free to enjoy them as, God gives to, as God's gifts to us, but we are no longer enslaved to them as our saviors. Now, Keller goes on to say something, and I don't know if this is an exact quote, but I think it's really big, and I'd love to get your input on this. Jesus both rejects and redeems our previous identities. So Jesus both rejects and redeems our previous identities. Really succinctly, can anybody... Give an example or explain, what does he mean by that? Like, what are some previous identities that he rejects? That's not who you are. And then what are some identities, previous identities, that he redeems? He rejects sinner. So he rejects the, the fact that our sin is definitional, like we are permanent sinners. Now, in this life, we are simultaneous saint-sinner, like we're not fully home yet. So as Christians, we can't claim to be sinless in practice, but our identity 
In Christ, we are positionally sinless, righteous, as we read a few minutes ago. Good. What else? He rejects the desire for me to love myself, redeems it by allowing me to experience true love from him. Good. He, re he rejects a perverted self-love and and redeems it to be a what and that's that's a beautiful way to say it because humility is not on the doormat humility is a right assessment of who i am with strengths and weaknesses like you can see honestly who you are what peter no please he told Peter, you'll no longer be a fisher of fish, but a fisher of good, men. Good example. But, but Paul says, some of you were cowards, you were sexually immoral, you were these things, and now you no longer are. Yes. Do, do you understand the distinction there for 1 Corinthians 6? You, you were this, but you're no longer that. When he's talking about sinful categories, lifestyles, you, you were defined by those, um, but but you're no longer that, like that, that's those, and that's what she's talking about, the ball and chain, you don't, you don't define yourself by the sin that bound you, so in our church, we have a lot of people who have come out of a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol addiction, so that's a great example of like rejects and redeems because they're no longer defined by their addiction to alcohol or drugs. Like on in our third service at five o'clock, there's an entire section of women who have recently come off the streets and are in a residential program to learn how to follow Jesus rather than drugs and alcohol, prostitution, and everything else that goes with that. And it, it's, you were this, you're now this. Bring it. For me, it, it, I, he rejects my personal self-loathing and redeems my self-loving that I express because of him. Good example. Yeah, because there's a kind of self- Insecurity comes in different forms. There's a low insecurity and a high insecurity. So the high insecurity is a little more obvious, like someone who's like, I'm the best. But there's a low self-loathing, whether it comes in self-loathing or self-loving, he redeems that into a right assessment of who we are in him. There's a, a man who led my wife by telling her what to do, but now a man who leads his wife by serving her. Beautiful. Redeems. So that's a great example because watch what Jesus does to family. Like in one sense, he rejects family. You got to hate your mother, father, sister, brother. Like what does that mean? Like what it means is your primary identity is not son, daughter, father, mother, sister, cousin. Like because they're not, like in many culture, family is worshipped. Like in many cultures where our, our missionaries are, that's the biggest obstacle to pe people becoming Christians. I can't become a Christian because if I become a Christian, I'm rejecting my identity as 
Albanian or you know Bangladeshian. Like so, even in America, what it means to be a husband or a father or a mother or a sister. In one sense, the gospel, we reject that. Like, that is no longer primary identity. But he redeems that in the sense of teaching us what it means to serve and love through washing feet rather than domineering. Beautiful example. Anybody else? I'm a citizen of the United States. That's part of my identity. But I'm also now a citizen of heaven. And I need to be, and God helps me be a good citizen. Beautiful example. Like, even in the political realm, like, we, we had a great example of this where one man who is in our church who's a Marine, like, diehard patriot, during COVID was really mad, you know, everything that's happening, we, we're not going to open that. <laughs> um, I think we got enough controversy in here. But what was amazing is... Um, he had some very strong views, and through the process, and his father dying of COVID, one, one service, he came up afterwards, and he just said, I realize I have been an American first, and a Christian, like somewhere down here. And God is showing me, even though I love my country, and I you know, want to be loyal and defend all that, but it's, it's not who I ultimately, like I'm a follower of Jesus first, and whatever it means to be, you know, actively involved in politics or serving our country, like that. See what happens is it. That's what he means. Rejects, but then redeems. Now I can do it. Like, like remember what John the Baptist told the people who had come to Christ, uh, had repented. Like to the wasn't it to the soldiers? Don't steal wages. Like, he, he rejects this, this isn't your, you're not a soldier like all the other soldiers. You're, you're doing that in a completely different way. Well, it's, so it is true with what it means to be a male and a female. Um, he rejects and redeems, and that leads us finally, I'm trying to skip some stuff here to get us back on track. Um, Restoration, my ultimate hope. I long for the day when I am free from sin, fully satisfied in Jesus. Transformed into his image, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For now, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Isn't that beautiful? So I was talking with a friend in our church who has been saved out of many years of living um, in a homosexual lifestyle. And I asked him recently, how he was doing so well. Like, I was just like, please tell me. Like, because I know he's fighting the battle, still tempted by same-sex attraction, would love to marry a godly woman. God has not provided that yet. And he, he just said, you know, when I think about 
what I have in Jesus, it doesn't compare with all the fun, pleasure, whatever I had in the lifestyle. Like, it, it just cannot compare to have a clean heart, to have a hope in the future. And that vision of not just what I give up, but what I get. And that, that's, what, that's where the church comes in, is like he is involved in a very tight life group, loving one another, encouraging one another, running to Jesus together. All of that is vital for people to find out who they are in Jesus and live that out. So I know we've gone through that really quickly, but that, that is the Christian story that is radically different from the cultural story. Um, any quick questions about that? Yes. I'd like to share my favorite scripture. For by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, I have been set free from the spirit of sin and death. Amen. Amen. Perfect example of what Jesus does. Sets us free. <clears throat> 